You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So an actor is saying his lines, and then out of nowhere, he just starts singing. Five, six, seven, eight. Welcome to Guys Who Like Musicals. Welcome to Guys Who Like Musicals. My name is Dan Tracy. My name is Joe Carroll. And we are two Broadway-loving guys. Broadway-loving guys. That's two us. Wild uh, and crazy Broadway-loving guys. That's us. Uh, and this week, we're talking to John Riddle. That's right. John Riddle from Broadway's Phantom of the Opera. Just, we're calling this Hans on Hans. Um... And it's, you know, it's a conversation about Frozen, but it's also just a conversation about John. Um, I've known John. Uh, we've both not known John since college. Uh, we were the same year, him at CCM, me at Michigan. Uh, and he's just a great guy and was couldn't have been nicer. And, you know, me coming over and taking over his role that he created um, in Frozen. And it's such a crazy thing when you join a Broadway show or you join a company that has uh, been in existence. It can be sort of scary. You're like, I'm entering a family that has already been set up and he couldn't have been more uh, warm and welcoming and gave me all the tips and things about, you know, playing, playing the bad guy. Um, and so we get into all that. We talk about his Broadway debut and the visit. Um, we talk about uh, Phantom of the Opera, which he's currently doing on Broadway. Phantom of the Opera. And I'm not even going to try <laughs> to do it, to do a British I can act. do like a dirty one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that is. Um, and so, you know, uh, not, hi- no, you know, yeah, like phantom. so, you know, uh, highlights for me better. from this one. Yeah. Listen to get to the, the part where he starts talking about working on the visit with John Doyle and Candor and Ebb and Cheetah Rivera and his feelings about, musical theater and the industry and all of that like that part to me was my absolute favorite he just he's so he's such a musical theater purist and he loves this business and this industry and and uh i thought that was really he speaks very eloquently about the process of putting a show together and also working with legends you know yeah totally um you know it's funny he he's had so many career goals for people Mm -hmm. in such a short amount of time. He's not even 30. Yeah. And you, um, it's like, wow. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's a really great interview. Um, And so he has this like presence, I think, you know, yeah, and he's like someone who's probably 10 years older than he is. Yeah. He's got a, he's real self-reflective and, and, uh, you know, a lot of great tidbits about, you know, for anybody who wants to know what it was like to be in the, in the original rooms of frozen, what it was like to put that thing together. Uh, it was really cool for me because I, I just joined, I, I jumped on this this Ferris wheel, you know, that's just been going for the last, you know, couple of years. And so to kind of get a sense of what it was like to make something like this and then to make something totally different in the visit. And if people don't know, the visit was, was uh, it only ran on Broadway for a couple of months. It was Candor and Ebb, Cheetah Rivera, directed by John Doyle. And um, it was this little passion project that almost didn't happen, came to fruition kind of at the last minute. Uh, he tells a great audition story about auditioning on a Tuesday and booking a job on a Thursday, basically, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then Frozen being the polar opposite, where it was months and months of auditions and re-auditions and, and is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? And then building this this colossus of a musical. It's, it's really, it's very cool. It's very cool. And I've had a total talent crush on the guy since 2009 
2009 or whatever when I first and 10 you know, or whenever when, we heard him say. right when I because uh, we were the same age uh, you know and seeing you know when YouTube was really sort of coming out almost um, yeah. you know and getting being like John Riddle is going to be a superstar and uh, and he is he is and uh, yeah we talk a little bit about like kind of social media and the conversation kind of like tiptoes around something that is that is like kind of on all of our minds which is like how does social media fit into this business and like the live nature of the business which i think is interesting and we'd love to hear your thoughts on any of that stuff yeah that'd be a great dm question if anybody out there has has real strong thoughts about the good and bad of social media in like what what does what does the access mean to you because like it's hard for me to bash social media when like we're here making a show that is intended to give access Totally. But it's different. Yeah. Like, I understand that it's different than like constantly barraging yeah. people with your Instagram stories and like kind of bragging about like where you are. Right. Like, that kind of social media is like really right. difficult for me. But but there's something that feels like a like a calling to me to like try and pass on the yeah. little that I have experienced to people. So like I do kind of love social media for that. So it's kind of a complicated issue yeah. that we, we touch on. Here yeah. would love to hear from you guys well. if you have any thoughts on it, but this was really, this is a really fun Hans on Hans. I thought that we could talk the whole interview as uh, Hans and Franz from SNL. We are going to pump you up, but we didn't Pick do things up and they pulled them down. We, we were going to do that, but uh, we didn't for your benefit. You're welcome. Here's John. Riddle. Okay. Can I just say something crazy? <laughs> I love crazy. Welcome to this edition of Hans on Hans. <laughs> In this edition of Hans on Hans, Hans will have Hans put all over Hans. <laughs> and we isn't, have that, to, isn't that what we're doing? That's what we're doing. We have to do the Wait, whole what interview. Is this podcast? <laughs> aren't we putting, aren't we putting Hans on, onto Hans? Guys, right now, my Hans are on both of these Hans. You're, you're, you're in a Hans sandwich. <laughs> See, I had this idea when we started this thing, because this is now into season two, when we started this little podcast, I was like, I got to get John on here and we'll have a segment. We'll call it Hans on Hans. And all that really means is, you know, we'll have you on and we'll talk to you the same way. <laughs> like it's, you know, but, yeah. but uh, I think it'll be, you know, this will be fun. We can talk about our shared experience on that show. And I also want to, you know, pick your brain about all the other things. First, we just talked about it as you were walking in, but Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, I'm doing the Phantom of the Opera right now. How is it? I don't know. Every time I say the Phantom of the Opera, I say it like the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's super fun. Phantom was the first show I ever saw. I was four years old and oh my, my dad, my parents were not theater people. Uh-huh. And my dad, he's a woodworker and he has a woodworking shop. That's and so cool. And he... Um, kept hearing this, it was like 1993 or something, and he kept hearing this commercial for this show called The Phantom of the Opera that was on tour in Toronto, and he was like, I don't know what this is, but it sounds like something we need to go to. And so that was our Christmas present that year, and we, my dad took our family up to Toronto, and we saw this show, and I didn't even know what a musical was or what theater was even, and I sat and watched this show, and for three hours I said nothing, sat the front of my seat yeah my dad said after i turned to him and i was like dad that's what i want to do when i grow up and you were four and i was four i think and then i started i started rattling off all these things about the show like the elephant was blah 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 blah, like all these things that he was like i don't even see any of that oh my god (laughs) and um so that was kind of the the beginning i guess people say when they get bit by the bug right i guess that was my bug right so so now i get to do it all these years later that's so really it's kind of it's amazing. full circle it's yeah. kind of fun yeah and it is like such an epic from like a musical theater nerd's perspective it's like it you is. go through you know whether it's you discover it when you're four or you discover it I, I saw it in Chicago when I was probably 10 or like it was an early early experience and I remember um, you know if you haven't well I guess people haven't seen it but the end when when the the mask is at the very, like the light cue on the mask at the yeah. very end. I remember that so vividly as like a 10 year old being like, wait, what, how, how'd they do that? What is that? What is that? How'd they do that? <laughs> and, and we, and then like, I remember like getting chills. Like you don't even know what chills are when you're 10. And then like mm-hmm. the show, you know, ends. And I remember getting chills. It's a really, it's a really magical thing. Do you they know? still do the pyrotechnics? Oh yeah. I, like that's what throwers. I would never forget. It's yeah. like I was like in maybe like the twelfth row, yeah, and uh, you know they're going across and it's like, <laughs> and you could feel like the heat coming from the stage, and there had just been this. Sorry to go there, but there had just been this really tragic fire 
in Rhode Island that like has has actually like set a standard for like fire safety across the country because it was so bad and so many people passed it during in this like nightclub the station nightclub um and two weeks later i went to see phantom and there was like that happening and me and my mom were like oh my god yeah yeah Um, can you imagine what that was like for those people you know it was interesting context anyway yeah um (laughs) yikes um Back, we'll just, yeah. Good start. No, no, it's, uh, we're starting very positive. We're starting very positive. Yeah, but our imitating live. Yeah, right, right. And you said that it's that it like it's fun to sing. It's fun to to you know. Yeah, what, I mean, like they don't they don't make it like that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, with those right. giant sets and right. there's a full how many twenty three piece orchestra or something. Yeah, yeah. Every night and to get to do that is is pretty cool. You know. What's frozen? No offense to the LED screens, but yeah, like right, if right. I see one more LED screen at a theater, yeah, yeah, no, totally, yeah, it's, it's, so it's really, it, uh, I'm, you know, I'm with you 100. percent Like paint, paint a sheet and hang it up, and yeah. that's more interesting to me. I don't know, no, that's just my own taste. Perhaps. Yeah, I completely agree. But that Hal Prince man, he knew how to put on yeah. a show. Yeah, rest in peace. He did. Did yeah. he? Not did you? Were you in the show before he passed? Did you ever get to meet him? He, um, I got. My agent called me, I think, the day after he passed. Oh, wow. So, um, no, I never got to meet him, unfortunately. But yeah. you can, like, his ghost it's is around the Majestic right, Theater, right? Totally. And totally. around every theater on Broadway, but... Yeah, yeah. You can feel it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And what would you say, like, a show like that, because Frozen, we'll get into Frozen and, and, and stories of, you know, <laughs> stories from around the St. James, but what do you think, like, why... Has Phantom lasted so freaking long? I mean, this is kind of, I'm just, I don't know why this question pops in my head, but do you, is there something going on over there? Is there something <laughs> in the Kool-Aid that like... I don't know, because I wonder the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, right. I, we come out, we have Thursday, we have a great schedule, I love it. We have a Thursday matinee, uh-huh. and those Thursday matinees are still packed. Yeah. It's like, yeah. someday, they're sold out some nights, and yeah. I just think it's sort of mind-blowing that... This play has been running every single night. Well, six nights a week yeah. for the last 32 years or whatever it is. Yeah. And I just think that it's some sort of worldwide phenomenon that happens in pop culture. Right. Like sort of like Frozen, to be honest. Yeah. But like yeah. this Phantom of the Opera, everybody knows what that is. Yeah. And it still holds up. You still, I don't know. I think it's a combination of the music, the sets, and just sort of the the I don't know the drama of it's it. Very, it's like yeah, it's that high drama like why people like Les Mis or something like this. Like right. people from it's so theatrical. Yeah, who don't even they're like I don't even love musicals, but like yeah. I love Phantom. You know? Yeah, yeah, there's something there's something in it for everybody. Maybe yeah. even if you don't even know what a musical is. Yeah. I don't know how to describe it really, but yeah. it does blow my mind that people still yeah. show up I every night. When, when my my agent came to see when I was doing Moulin Rouge last summer, he came to see it and he was talking about like the pillars of theatricality, which is like like an old Greek idea. But like one of the pillars of theatricality is just like the the scope of the 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 thing. It's like um, what did he say? It's like. Um, Spectacle, spectacle. Yeah. It's like the spectacle of it. So even if you don't know anything and you can't appreciate, like you know, the singing or the whatever, the spectacle of Phantom is so. I mean, it's massive. There's there's these gaudy costumes and these beautiful set and like you. There's again, I think maybe that is some has something to do with it. Just the magnitude of it. Well, and that's why we go to the theater, right? Anyway, because that's the only place that you can experience that sort of thing yeah. it's not you can see that on a television like Game of Thrones is the peak of theatricality but Absolutely. it's on film yeah. and they need to I'm sure there's a Game of Thrones musical in the works but yeah. like <laughs> um, but do you know what I'm saying there's something that that ex- is so exciting about yeah. that which is why I say you know you go see these shows that have I'm gonna get in trouble for saying this but like <laughs> the, I'm bringing up the LED screens again but it's yeah. just like you're not it's, fooling anybody. It's a cop out. Like yeah. it's a little bit of a cop out. And I understand it's expensive and blah 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 yeah. blah blah. But yeah, but that's part of what makes it work. Too. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's interesting. The, the one thing that I did find because because there's a lot of LED that happens in Frozen, and I felt like, for better or worse, they it, it allows two actors to be on a big bare stage talking to each other, mm-hmm. and so that also had some. I was like, oh, this is actually just 
two people like you know all of the the love is an open door stuff and all of the scenes between Elsa and Anna are just two people talking to each other like yes there's a lot of stuff going on around them but I I don't know I feel like the the other way to do it would almost be like a Shakespearean like stand on the edge of the stage and and tell the audience that there's 10,000 troops, you know, like that's yeah. what Shakespeare used to be like, and there's 10,000 troops coming, you know, whatever. And you just had to imagine it in your imagination. And now they're like, okay, so she's going to put her hand here and there's going to be some, there's going to be some magic, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I think that that's, that's what like, it cheapens that the idea of that, you know, like we don't need to see Elsa like shoot ice out of her hands on projections because we can imagine right. that that's what she's doing. Yeah. The, right. Yeah. Cheap, well, you know, well, the best moments for me are the actually the simplest. Like there's a moment when like her, her glove flies off before let it go. Yeah. And like that is an old school theater trick from like right. a million years ago. Right. It's, a, it's a glove on chicken but wire. It's practical. And, and every and somebody pulls it and the yeah. whole audience goes. <gasps> Yeah, like, right. Just it works. Do, just do that. Like, yeah. but it's not digital. Yeah, but it's, it's a not practical. Digital. It's a right. practical, and it's right. and it still is like the most. I mean, that's there's a lot of that in Harry Potter. Like a lot of Harry Potter. Which I still is, haven't seen. Don't spoil yeah. it, Joe. I'm not, but it's practical. I'm saying practical. Sure, yeah, magic, sure. As sure. opposed to like instead of like screen magic. It's like the good old fashioned. Um, oh, what's that? What's the word? It escapes me. But like the, sleight of hand, or like yeah, a, it's yeah, like just yeah. good old fashioned sleight of hand. Yeah, they've been doing it since the beginning of. Time. Yeah, exactly. You know, all the vaudeville guys did it, and it worked. Right, right, so, right. It still works. It yeah. still works. Um, so more, we we can get into some Hans on Hans Frozen nonsense. I would um, love to. But uh, Dan is in the middle. Uh, who is more handsome? <laughs> Sorry, Joe. <laughs> okay, great. So point John. I don't know <laughs> who who is taller. Ooh, John. Okay, yeah, point yeah, John. Taller. Who has better hair? Point John. <laughs> Wait, I don't know though. Because Joe has really good hair. Joe's, Joe's, Joe's just, also very handsome. I know, but Joe does not give himself any credit. Joe <laughs> well, thinks he that he's too. trash. Garbage. I think it's fun to just. This John is my thinks podcast. you have better hair. This so is he my wants. podcast. Okay. And if I want to be self our podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, how did it all come about? What was the audition process like? How Frozen? Did, yeah, for, for. I mean, how did that. How did it all come about for you? Okay, so I'm going to give you the abridged version, kind of. Yeah. Also, we have like, we'll, we have 40 minutes. You know, okay. you, can, you can go as deep or as, you know. Well, I was in Canada working on this, this, I was doing this workshop in Canada and my agent sends me an email for, uh, to play the king. Oh. In, to come in audition for the king in the lab. Okay. And I hadn't. Was this the, the, the first lab with Alex Timbers? No, or this, this was, was the Grandage? second. Okay. This was the Alex Timbers lab had just happened. Right. And for people who don't know, Alex Timbers directed some early iterations of it, and Michael Grandage took over and Correct. directed the version that we have on Broadway. You know, Correct. sometimes shows, you know, directors and creative teams come in and out and stuff, and that's a whole other can of worms that we don't necessarily need to launch into. But right. so you're going in for the, the king and so, the first well, Grandage lab. So I originally said no. I yeah. was like, it's not really something I'm interested in. Right. I also hadn't seen the movie Frozen. Mm-hmm. And so um, it just. At that point in my life, it wasn't really something I wanted to do. So I said no. And then Rachel Hoffman, thanks, Rachel, (laughs) said, just come in, just do it, do the lab. Yeah. You know, even if you don't do it in the future, just come in and come hang out. Just come, just come, just come in. Yeah. Come in the room. And so I did. And, um, and so I went in and I sang for Stephen Aramis and he was like, nice, brought me in for, Everybody, uh-huh. I was there for like Kristen Lopez and Bobby and to be, to play the king still. Yeah, and I think Tom Schumacher was there and everybody, Michael Grandage, and so I do my audition. It was whatever. It was fine, and um, my agent calls me that night and he says they want you to come in tomorrow and read for Hans. Oh, I forgot this part. I actually, I actually asked my agent. I was like, isn't there a dude in that that? Isn't there like a like a prince kind of guy? I yeah. played a couple of princes in my life, <laughs> and so I was like, "Isn't there a prince in that?" Like, and so he was like, "Yeah, but they they don't want to see you for that." So anyway, yeah. So I, I go in for the king. So anyway, I go in for this audition. Right. My agent calls me and he's like, "They want to see you tomorrow for Hans." Right. So I was literally at a bar watching Drag Race. Yes. LOL. Yep. And when this <laughs> when this call yeah. comes yep. through. 
And he's like, you have to go back in tomorrow. I was like, okay. So I leave the bar, go home, watch Frozen the movie, (laughs) because I still have not seen the movie. Um, Go (laughs) learn this little cut of Love is an Open Door and like read through the scene a couple times. And I went in the next day and um, read for everybody again. That was for everybody. Yeah, for ev- that same. Yeah, that's stressful. For you the whole you don't even get again. like one chance to like try out some crap before no, you're in yeah. like the right. whole Disney universe. No, it was just like shot out of a cannon. Yeah. And so I went in, walked out. I was like, eh, that was, I think that was fine yeah. for, you know, I did what I could. And so the weekend rolls around and I get a call on Monday and Rachel says, hey, can you come in and put yourself on tape again? Put your audition on, on tape again. Um on Tuesday and I went in, did it on Tuesday and that night they offered me the workshop to do Hans in the workshop. So you recorded, they had you come back and just like do it for Rachel? Yeah, I just did it. Yeah, I just did it on film in a room because Michael Grandage had to go back to uh, London because he lives in London and he was in town and I guess they wanted to just see yeah. Me again on tape? I'm not really sure. Yeah. But anyway, or like so, show it to every single person yeah. at Disney or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah, somebody, yeah. they wanted it to be archived. Right. Yeah. You know, which I have so a whole So you know. we did that. And then, so I I got the offer to do it. and um, To do the lab. To do the lab. Just the lab. Just the lab. Got it. And then we did the lab. And it went great. It was, it was super fun, informative, hard work. Um. And then they were like, okay, uh, we'll be in touch. And we're like, wait, what? Because usually, I don't know, we all kind of thought, okay, this is going well. Yeah. You know, I think. But they were like, no, we'll be in touch. So we had, well, a group of us, myself included, had to come back in and audition like three months later for this job, for the next section of the lab. Because there was another lab after that. Oh, wow. And so we came in, auditioned at the Little Schubert Theater on stage, which was like the most old school thing in the whole entire world. And they paired us up and read with people. And I came back. I was like, yeah, sure. I'll come back and audition because I wanted the job. Yeah. Right. And came back in. And um, it was another three weeks after that that I waited around. I went to Dallas to go do a production of West Side Story. And um, and then three weeks later, got a phone call. And they said, Whoa do you want to do it on Broadway? Wow. So it was a really long, drawn out yep. process. It's about as Broadway as it was, I can. Like, it was, yeah. You it, know, was, it was that like sort of horror, every actor's mm-hmm. horror story where you're just waiting around mm-hmm. wondering if you got it. Can I ask, um, we were just talking about this because um, I had an audition this afternoon where I got paired with someone and I wasn't mm-hmm. ready to do that. Mm-hmm. How was that experience actually having to re- like do... Sometimes, for those of you who don't know, most of the time we, in auditions, are reading to like an open room, sort of like facing a group of people, and then there's someone sitting in a chair who reads the lines with you, but you're not actually like acting in a space. You're just kind of like fake acting. For lack of a <laughs> lack of a better explanation, it's a very unnatural but it's like a, experience. It's, it's definitely unnatural. But what yeah. I mean is that it's not like traditional acting, like you would ever do it ever again after that. But in this experience, they say you're going to like read with people in that. So how was how did you navigate that experience? And like, was there anything that you noticed that you may have done that other people weren't doing? Or like, how did that experience? Do you feel like you like booked it? Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a, no, I never feel like I book it because I. And self-deprecating, and I just yeah. get just my like own Joe, way. Just like Joe, it must be a Hans thing. Uh, yeah, you have to be super self-deprecating. <laughs> to play it's, role. It's, Everyone's it's, gonna go in their auditions now and be like, "What are they?" Self-preservation. I mean, you go in for yeah, so many freaking things, and yeah. you're like, "You're like, if I go in for every single thing, like this is gonna be the date where I meet my wife, then yeah. you're just gonna get your heart broken four time times time a week." Again. And it's like, yeah. yeah. So I'm with you 100. I mean, there's a middle ground because you do have to go in and pretend that you're going to get it because yeah. otherwise, yeah, I don't know. You yeah, believe well, you could yeah, you get it. Correct. Yeah. 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 Right. But to answer your question, that's, I've never thought about that because it is an interesting experience too, because that other person that you're reading with when they pair you up like that is also auditioning. Right. Of course. So you have a job, you have a responsibility to that person too. Right. Because somebody could potentially sabotage 
your audition too. Absolutely. So yep. I think the answer is, is that you have to stick to your guns and kind of project what your idea of the scene or the character is onto that person the same way that you do with a reader in an audition, mm-hmm. I think. It's but super it is unnatural, interesting it? because so you have, if you have, if you're reading with three different girls and you do the scene three different times, it's going to be different because you're, right. you do also have to connect with that right. person and that person has a different energy than right. girl number two. So it's, in, totally. that's a weird thing. Yeah. Did you, it's so totally so a weird thing. Did you get paired with Patty? Patty wasn't there. Oh. Because Patty was in Chicago. Okay. So Patty wasn't in that initial group of women. Okay. And then, which is why it took so long after the fact, because Patty and I had done the reading together, mm-hmm. and then the first reading, and then when I came back into audition, Patty couldn't be there, and so she didn't read, but then after that, they brought Patty back in. Did her Not thing. with me. Got it. Got I it. I think she probably read with Jelani, actually. Okay, sure. And um, And then... After that, got it. Got it. That's so crazy. So yeah. it was a very strange. Yeah, they were speaking trying. of unnatural experiences. Right. Like that right. is not how auditions work. No, like, and, right. And I and I say this, and we've said this on the podcast a lot. Like auditions are horrible, and they're horrible for everybody, and especially in that one because yeah. there's just so much pressure for like all parties involved. You know, like Disney has this massive property, and they yeah. want to make sure that it's as good as possible, so right. they're feeling the heat. And then there's a bunch of actors who are like, this could change my career. We're all feeling the heat. And it's like, like that kind of common, I wish there was more common misery, you know, you know, about like everybody yeah. being like to talk about self deprecating. Like I wish that in those moments, I, actually when I walked in for my final callback for Grandage, he was like, he, he said, it was the greatest thing that anybody had ever said to me before a final callback. He said, you did brilliant yesterday. Just do the same thing in front of all these people. See, you know, I wish it was always that. You know, right. and it was really, it, I was like, oh my gosh, it just put me, it really put me at ease because I didn't know what I was walking into either. Right. And you also, in that final callback setting, you're like, wait, should I do, should I show them something else? Right. I, which right. I think the answer is no, because there's a reason why they keep calling you back in. Right. So right. do what you do. so funny. Right. I was just trying to figure this out, you know, like when you, at your callback it, today. Yeah. My callback today, because it was like supposed to be really funny. And I was like, okay, do I need to be more funny? Right. Do I need to be funny in a different way? Because now they're not going to laugh as much as they did the last time. Cause I'm going to do the same thing again. Correct. And yeah. I totally got in my own head about it. And I totally just got in my own head in the audition Ugh. about it. And I you think know? the answer, I don't know, but I think the answer is do the same. Thing. I do too. I do too. Because yeah. there's a reason you got a callback and they're just right. bringing in more people like to see it, you know, like right. when you go right. through the process of auditioning, the reason you get callback and callback and callback is because there's more people there time and time again. So like at my final final, it, there were more people from Disney, you know, like I hadn't met Tom Schumacher and in court and they were there. So it's like, they want to see what, sh- what Grandage saw the day before or whatever. You Correct. know what I mean? And yeah. I'm like, can't you just show them the damn tape? They, I, <laughs> Because they right. tape all these auditions anyway. <laughs> yeah. But I have a whole thing about it's the tapes, hard. too, because like the tapes are never as good, you know? The tapes are... Well, that's the same thing as... It's like... That's what we were talking about before. That's right. the difference between film and, and the theater. And, yes. Like, no, totally. Exactly. Like, it's a different experience. In totally the strange. Yeah. So then uh, in the whole Denver... So then you, you book the Denver production, and it's, it's going... What do you remember, like... Fo- I mean, it's kind of a lame question, but fondest memory. Do you have a fondest, like... Honestly, my fondest memory was that this is going to be so corny, but it's a corny question. But when you put a new show like that together and there's all this expectation and this hype of it's going to be this big thing. And we were this group of people that had kind of we had all gone through this sort of rigorous audition process. And so once it was the group that they decided on and we all went to Denver, we all kind of just bonded together yeah. and um, we were in this amazing city and we were putting on this giant Broadway musical and um, it was kind of the best. We had all this expectation, like we're going to Broadway and we're in the mountains and it was just kind of this beautiful moment in time. And I think that that also, um, I think that that sort of informed some of the heart of the show too, because that's when you're making a new piece. It's about 
it becomes what it is because of the people that are in it. And it evolves over time. Totally. You know? Um, but that is a, that's something I won't ever forget is just that time of, of that process was really sort of a beautiful yeah. moment. You're like standing on the, I mean, this is, I make this, this cheesy Jersey boys comment a lot, but where you, at the end of that, when they say there's sta- four guys under a street lamp when it was all still ahead of us, that was yeah. the high point. Like yeah. the right. beginning, there's so much anticipation yeah. and especially around something like that. Like, and I felt this when we were doing Moulin Rouge last summer, the, there's just pressure, like the pressure, you can feel it like in the walls. Everybody yeah. is like, this is huge. And we want to make it as good as possible. And sometimes that's not conducive to art, but it's actually conducive to like relationships. You know, you totally. get, you like cling to those people because you're kind of in the shit together. Well, that's the thing that um, I might get in trouble for saying this too, but that's kind of the thing that I feel is missing from the theater right now is that yeah. some people are doing it. So yeah. it's not universal, but I think a lot of theater is based on making money and it's we're forgetting the reason that all of us love this thing so much Mm -hmm. and it's creating this thing that means something and we get caught up in the pressure of making it good so that people will come and buy tickets. But if you if you actually just leave all of that stuff aside and put all the pressure aside, then and get on with it, you're going to make <laughs> good theater and then people are going to buy tickets to your show. Right. Because it's just good. Because it's just a good piece of storytelling. Right. And, right. Um, and I find that to be not so present. Yeah. The commercial <laughs> aspect And no, I'm not a producer and I'm not writing million dollar checks. So, you know, maybe I'm just being right. a... And no. Joe talks about yeah. this too because it like, it becomes commerce once something is like open for a while. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. But when yeah. we're starting something, we shouldn't be making decisions based on how much money we yeah. want the or, thing to right. make. Are we people just going make to something like something as good yeah. as we can? Are people going to like this? I don't know. Right. Do you think, do you think any, do you think like Picasso was like, yes, I wonder if this will sell. Yeah. Right. No, right. No, he was so, slapping he, some paint on some canvas. Right. And he was right. like, I think this is, I think this is cool. Yeah. And that, I, I forget who said this, but, but uh, commerce always follows art. Mm-hmm. It's not the other way around. So Correct. you make the art and then people go, wait, that was awesome. We want to buy tickets to it or, or we want to buy the record. We want to buy, it was Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin was talking about music and, and, and he, I was listening to this interview and he was talking about like, you know, the guy changed the face of music from the Beastie Boys to, to LL Cool J to, you know, he worked at Tom Petty and all these people. And he's like, no, it, it, it must start with the art, you know? Right. And that's interesting to go back to Phantom of the Opera because I, I'm pretty sure that at that time when Phantom of the Opera came into New York, no one was making shows like that anymore. Yeah. And they were like, actually, no, there's going to be something here, I promise. And yeah. then there was. Yeah. Everyone was saying that Hal Prince was crazy and now, you know. Yeah. But like, he's a great example. Look at the, look at his body of work. Oh totally. my God, it's I'm insane. Just, we talked about him when he passed on the show. Yeah, he did like, like a whole Look lot. at yeah. all those shows he did. Do you think... It seems as though for, he was never concerned about whether people were going to like it or no, not. It was I mean, of course we are. It. Yeah, but it was artists, like if, but if he liked it almost, it was like, correct. you know, I want to like, make something that I want to go see in the theater. Yeah. I want to have the experience that I had when I was little mm-hmm. and I want to make that. And that was what Phantom yeah. was. I got, I got to work with John Doyle and he's one of the people who I feel like is doing that. He always, he always said that, the theater is for the people. So once you make the thing, then you turn it over to them and they are going to either take it or leave it. But, and that's not up to you as the creator. Yeah. He's, I always go back to him because he, I just, the way he approaches it is from a non commerce way. Totally. And he's just interested in, in making, making theater. Making art. And it's, I wish that, how do we, I don't know, how do we, how do we do more of that? Yeah, we should get John Doyle in here. Maybe we could get Yeah, yeah, he'd be a vault of knowledge. So you worked with him on The Visit, right? Yeah, that's that's a great transition. Thank you. Was that your um, Broadway debut? That was my Broadway debut. And how did, did you do that at Williamstown? No. So I, um, I didn't. I didn't. 
I got a call. So speaking of, of, okay. So I got, I get a call to come in and audition for this show and I did some research on it and I was, I've always been a huge Kander and Ebb mm-hmm. fan. Like, love sure. them. And so I was all jazzed about it and I went in. Oh, that's a bad Kander and Ebb joke. Oh my God. <laughs> I can't believe I just did that. That is a they really Chicago. bad joke. Um, all that jazz. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> I have to leave. Um, <laughs> So I went in on Valentine's Day, actually, I remember that, and um, sang for the music director, and I brought this song in, and he was like, that's kind of a tricky song. Are you sure you want to do it? And I was like, I really want to sing this. What was it? It was Lonely House from, oh, from which I don't think is that tricky of a song, but um, it just fit the world of the, of sure, the play. So sure. I was like, yeah, I'm going to sing this. And I did, and then they brought me back. And the next day, I had my first Broadway show. Like, I'm saying, I went through the, we were talking about how frozen yeah. and how drawn out the whole thing was. But we, I went in on, I don't know, whatever day it was, but it was Valentine's Day. And then I came back in the next day and did a little dance session with Graziella Danielle. And then that night, I was in this, oh my gosh, I was in this rehearsal for this thing that I just, really didn't want to be doing and this concert <laughs> yep, yep. no offense to anybody who was there um and my agent called and i was like oh thank god and yeah. we started i started rehearsal like four days later that's so it was this like yeah and we only rehearsed the show i think for three weeks before we started previews on broadway so it was like this wow. crazy your life can really change and yeah in a second that's an amazing story what it like polar opposite to the frozen experience oh and yeah just like out of nowhere yeah right you know but you were ready for it like that's what some we talk about this all the time like you were you're just clipping along and then you were you preparation met opportunity at this perfect yeah. moment right you know and to to work with like that if we go down that creative team and the people that was in that people that were in that show oh gosh, yeah. among them you like that's musical theater history at its finest with that yeah. crew you know, was that ever where you kind of, would you ever look around the room and be like, holy oh, hell. I was fully aware the entire time. Yeah. And I made sure, I wrote a lot of stuff down during that. Great. Mm-hmm. Point, that time, I I write, I journal every day. Good. Oh, good. Um, good. Not every day. But um, <laughs> I, I made sure to write stuff down so that even if I never look at it again, it's somewhere written down. Because I remember having experiences like... I would be sitting in the orchestra next to John Kander and he's like scribbling notes, things to change. He's like, oh, I'm going to make that a C sharp or whatever. And Whoa. he would lean, lean over to me and make some joke about that, about that. And I just, those are the kind of things that, that I pinch myself because I got to experience that. And, yeah. totally. um, you know, Cheeto always says, which I love. She says, I suck. Meaning she, she's like, I suck. Meaning that she, um, absorbs mm-hmm. from everybody mm-hmm. because she clearly doesn't suck. Right. But she sucks all the good out of everybody that she is around. So talk about a person who's had a vast yeah. life experience and it's all made up of the people that she's worked with and been on stage with and met in life. And Ugh. And that becomes a part of your tapestry. So when you're in those types of situations, I think it's really important to suck or for yeah. maybe a better word is absorb. Absorb, yeah. Um, <laughs> is to absorb. You're just supposed to that, suck everyone. Yeah. No, yeah, no, that's not oh what I God. mean. Yeah. Um, but to absorb that because it really does become a part of you. And that experience for me, um, it set the it's sort of set the bar for how to work in this business because those people are old school Mm -hmm. and they show up every day and they are prepared and they don't call out. they never miss a show. They, you do it because it's what we do as people in the theater. Yeah. It's this mentality that I think is vanishing in our, Generation, yeah. and I'm determined to save it because I think it's really important. I think a lot of people 
take for granted what we do. Not a lot of people in this world get to be on a Broadway stage, and we do. And so the opportunity, it's not going to last forever. Mm -hmm. You know, the visit lasted for three months, and it was truly some probably the best three months of my life on a stage. And I think I'll try the rest of my career to try to match that in some way because it was just, it felt like we were doing something important, and it was with people that, I believed in and and speaking we're talking about making art like yeah. those were people who were just making something and not a lot of people responded to the show we couldn't it didn't sell but it didn't matter because right. we were doing something really cool yeah and it felt good that is and so and awesome. who cares so awesome. that it closed three months later I mean it yeah. was heartbreaking but of course it was an amazing experience that's, that's really so interesting great. too because I feel like so many times uh, I'll speak for myself and say that like I'll go see a show and I'm like trying to decide whether or not a show is like gonna last instead of like trying to appreciate the heart that exists yeah. in the people yeah. that have made this thing. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know? Right? Yeah. So like yeah, I think yeah, I've seen things that maybe aren't my really my cup of tea, but right. I understand what went into that totally and that's also extremely valid yeah right. yeah you know, and we're, i think we're supposed to defend art you know like mm-hmm. as opposed to that's totally a susan sontag quote but she says we're we're supposed to defend art not critique it you know and i mm-hmm. think that that's so valid for something like that because it's like people made a thing people got up there they they spent millions yeah. of dollars and yeah. millions of hours and they made a thing and you didn't and so you don't get to sit there just because right. you spent 125 bucks on a ticket and and critique something that you get, you know, just sit there and or just say it's bad or yeah. it's not worth seeing when yeah. it's like it's, it's like, wh- not no. your taste yeah. or yeah. whatever it's, it is. Yeah, like right. like it's bad is not a legitimate <laughs> critique in right. any way. Right, right. Like talk about what you didn't connect yeah. to. Yeah. But it might be the most amazing thing that some other person has ever right. seen. Because for everything we were talking about with like like we go back to the to the projections and stuff in yeah. in Frozen. For a couple of theater purists who are like, you know, we want more sets and Lyle, you're in Phantom and all of this stuff. Every person that I bring backstage is like, the projections were amazing. Yeah. And when she touches the thing and the ice and whatever. And I'm like, okay. I mean, that you, is pretty cool. Yeah, you know, it is pretty cool. <laughs> and so it's like, that stuff is valid for certain people, you know? Yeah. Um, sure. I wanted yeah. to, I wanted to make it bad. We're all about the transitions on mm. this show because sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're bad. And Dan's transition to all the stuff about the visit was an excellent. Best ever. Transition. Hot, hot, we got a hot transition. Hot transition. But what I wanted to, based on your, all, everything that you were talking about, um, did you get that musical theater work ethic, uh, purist mentality at school? Was that it? Did that, how, when did that come into, you know, I, uh, your fray, I guess, was it truly through that show or did that happen at school? Because, you know, you went to CCM you just like the way I approach it. Yeah. Or like, like your, your sort of com- appreciation for the business. Yeah. Your appreciation for the and business. those artists in that room. Like, did you learn about that? Cause a lot of, here's oh. the other thing I'll say is that I've worked with a lot of people who you say candor and ebb and they're like, who is that? Right. right. You say cheater, not necessarily, maybe not cheater Rivera, but some people, cer- certain people don't know who John Doyle is and certain people when you, you will mention a show and they've never heard of it mm-hmm. and they're like, well, you know, I don't even, I don't even know musicals. I just do musicals. And I'm like, yeah, well, good luck with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get out of here. Sort of like, like you are doing this like, for a career. I don't so know, like figure it out. I don't know politics, but I'm a, yeah. Let's right. not go there. Yeah. But, but, but yes. No, yeah. but it's yeah. like that. Right. Yeah. 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 Like know where you came from. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And know what came before you and all the people that did all the groundwork. Yeah. Ahead of. Yeah. And was that, was that a school thing or was um, that just your own Do you know experience? what? I think actually my, my dad is an artist yeah. and my dad made me, uh, like everything had to be done. It was instilled in me very early that you do it right the first time Mm -hmm. and you do it, um, you follow through and yeah. uh, And I want to be more specific, but that's really kind of, it's kind of simple as that. Like you just do it right the first time. And as long as you put all of your effort into it Mm -hmm. and made it the best that you can the first time, then chances are you're going to succeed at it. And also to like, I remember, Oh my God, I used to cry. I had this, I had, he would, my dad would 
in high school, I would write my papers and then my dad would read them. Be like, that's not really good enough. And I would have to rewrite them. He sounds like such a hard ass, but I'm so thankful for that because it did make me, then when I, you know, the next week when I would write another paper, I would made it, I just did it right the first time. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. And then that became something that like you valued. Yeah. It wasn't just something that was like forced. Correct. And at the time I wanted to, I wanted to punch my dad, but now I'm really thankful that that was just built into my DNA from an early age because I think that especially in what we do, it really is. I think it really is in a lot of situations. Like, are you working the hardest because the person next to you is working harder than you? Right. A hundred percent. And you know, there's a lot of other factors to it. It's like, there's talent, there's, you know, the way you look like, your hair, right. you know, like yeah. it's all like all your st- stupid things too. But at the end of the day, it's like who hard work, I think always pays off a hundred percent. Yeah. And I then I think, them. I think that now the point where I've gotten in, in my career and in, in my development with hard work is like, okay, so what, what is the hard work and like, right. where yeah. is that focus? And like, what is too much work and too in an area? Because sometimes thing, that's another thing, thing where you can be too prepared, and then I've lost jobs because yeah. I like can't like uh, take notes or like you know yeah. those kinds of things right. too. So it's like it's definitely complicated, but it's about like you can't just kind of half-ass through this. But I think it's finding your own way of working too, in your own process, like in terms of. I guess I'm thinking about auditions, but yeah. it's like I know when I know how. I audition when I audition well and how to do that. And it's usually preparedness, which means hard work. Right. Right. And so I guess maybe preparedness is a better being prepared. Yeah. More prepared than the person next to you because the person next to you is going to be more prepared than you are. So I love that. And you were Um, prepared, you know, like having a dance background and like being able to do that dance session after your, your, after that, you know, yeah, it's funny because I never really, I don't, I dance, but I'm not a dancer. Right. And you guys are, I mean, I, Joe's, Joe's like that too. I probably know a little bit more about Joe's dance background than yours, but well, Joe is like, like a secret dancer. Yeah. <laughs> secret dancer. Yeah. Like, yeah. But you try to, you try to keep, you don't want a lot of people to know that because then <laughs> you never know what they make you do. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> Cut to Frozen. Cut to Frozen. And now, and, and now you're like re- singing your yeah. face off and throwing girls in the air. Yeah, I blame like, you right. for Wait, that. what? I blame no. you for that. I, I, I actually can just sit here and be like, hey, thanks a lot. I'm really sorry. <laughs> no. Blame Rob Ashford. Right. No, but that was actually a, a great, that's a, another good point. I, I find that the, you know, Love is an Open Door is so effective. Um, it's so funny. The choreography is great. It is a bastard on your body. Like my, my whole left side of my body is in physical mm-hmm. therapy, which mm-hmm. I like we're it's part of it. But the dancing thing is like, that is a secret that I think a lot of people should, a lot of guys especially should have in their back pocket because that is the reason I booked frozen. That's the reason I booked Cinderella. Mm-hmm. My career is base is, is, is really, you know, a lot of my jobs have been because I could dance a little better than the next guy. And more so, I could pick up girls and put them down, and and you know the dance captain or the choreographer would be like, oh, this this guy's not going to hurt anybody. Right. He, he has to sing. He's got to tell a story. But he also, when it gets to this moment, he's not going to hurt anybody. I was the same way. My first job out of college was Avita, and mm-hmm. they I was cast as it was this weird hybrid of everybody danced in the show, but I was one of the dancer tracks, and. I was, I've never danced. It was the hardest thing to this day that I've ever done. I don't know how dancers like those kids over at Moulin Rouge who are yeah. kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, at Moulin Rouge who are like, even they say they're wrecked. Oh and yeah. It's, I don't know how I, I, I just have such a respect for proper dancers Yeah. because it is some, it is, it's brutal. And uh, it is a sport. Yes. And the better and they are, hard. the easier they make it look, Correct. which is the worst thing. So yeah. you're like, oh, I could do that. Correct. Or you're like, yeah. not that, not that, you know, you watch it's a hard. ballet yeah. and you're like, right. oh, wow, that's right. beautiful. And it looks so easy. And they're just like dead. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. their bodies are wrecked. <laughs> they like try to kick your leg above 90 degrees. <laughs> right. Yeah. But right. I had the same experience with, as you as if I didn't know how to dance, I would never be where I am right. now because dance got me in the door it got me yeah. the 
my jobs mm-hmm. when I was first starting out. And um, it's kind of continued to... Yeah, yeah you hear that, kids? That yeah. There's two... I'm sitting in the middle of a Han sandwich, <laughs> two of Broadway's leading men, and they're telling you that you need to get in dance class, so don't listen to your hockey Go. coach, yeah. and yeah. don't listen to your uncle or your cousin... Right. And make sure that you're taking that ballet class Go with to that whoever you ballet can. Class, it doesn't matter that if you're in a helps. class of a bunch of ten-year-old girls. Like, don't I, judge yourself. It's going to be worth it someday. I took a tap class with a bunch of ten-year-old girls. I, I took 16. a ballet class with a bunch of ten-year-old girls, and, they, and they I think tap, my mom oh my was gosh. like, "Yikes!" They, they tapped <laughs> circles <laughs> around me, and it was, yeah, that. that but you got to do it. You um, got to do it. It's worth it. Also, puts you in your body. Yeah. Yeah, you for know, sure. It just helps everything else. It really does. Along the way. Can I tell my so. John Riddle story? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. my God. We, we've talked about the Muni St. Louis on the show a couple times, and it's this big summer stock theater with like 10,000 seats outdoors every summer. It's been around for 101 yeah. years It's or the something. gold standard void. Like every college kid in musical theater yeah. wants to work at wants the Muni. Wants to work there. Yeah. And that's where like, you know... <laughs> They used to talk about when when us Michigan kids would go down there, then we'd meet all the CCM kids, and we were like these two schools, and like I always thought so of it ridiculous. as like a football rivalry, but it really wasn't that. It was like something else altogether. It was really more of a camaraderie because now we're all in the city together, and it's like yeah. different. But yeah. um, this year, I was a sophomore in college, and these guys were juniors, and we that season, I think it was Paul C- Paul Blake's last season, if I remember correctly. Uh-huh. Um, before the theater was taken over. And we all had to, for the callback, when you got called back after the first day, you all had to sing the same song. In front of each other. In front yeah, of each other. Stage. In a theater. It's the most saddest on a stage. thing that has ever It was happened. crazy. Yeah. Yeah, but t- to me, like, I grew up, like, in these callback, these, like, um, hockey tryouts where, like, people were literally trying to kill each other. So I was like, oh, no. this is, like, a tryout, but, like, no one's going to hurt me. This is great. Like, I, no. I'm confident right now. I wish I had that. I wish I had that. And, this is a tryout, but no one's going to hurt no me. No one's going to hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> and and you stepped center stage, and you sang On the Street Where You Live, and I was like, holy shit. Yeah. This yeah. dude's voice is out of control. Well, that's yeah. so kind. Was that, was that the year that you played Eric at the Muni? If it was our junior year, then yeah. After junior yeah. year, yeah. With Patty Murin. Re- no Did way. you know that? No. Patty was Ariel. That's insane. Yeah, and they cast this dumb little college kid. I was I'm, terrified out of my boots. I had no idea what I was doing. I was probably god-awful in it. You, It, it, it was lore at but, Michigan. And through like the college, all of the BFA programs, we were like, John Riddle. Just got cast as Prince Eric oh in gosh, The Little Mermaid so at the funny. Muni. He's a junior. This kid is going to be like you were. You were legend before you even knew that you were a legend. Like oh we were God. talking about. We're like, who is this guy? And then like looking at videos of you singing on YouTube. I was like, oh yeah, he's got a perfect voice. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I, I don't gotta, remember. I gotta come on this podcast more often. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. Do you know what's funny about that? Is that same summer? So I did The Little Mermaid, and then I had also auditioned at PCLO that summer and I went and did, I was in the ensemble after, so I did Little Mermaid, Uh then went to Pittsburgh and Uh was in the ensemble of Jesus Christ Superstar with Corey Cott, Ashley Park, um, what? Stephanie Umo, Will Blum, like all these people. It was the most legendary, we were all in the ensemble and it was the most legendary (laughs) group of people (laughs) ever. And we look at that group, Mike Campagno, like, what? If I'm forgetting anyone, sorry. Mike Schwitter, like all these people. It was just this insane group of people and we were all kids doing this. That's cool. Yeah, it was really cool. That's very cool. That's a real And I was crying at home because I was not in any of those groups. Oh, I was yeah, like, yeah, I'm okay. never going to make it. Let's, don't make it about you. <laughs> That's a great... John just gave No, but this story. is a reminder for all those kids who don't get those opportunities that, you know, yeah. there's other... We've talked about that before. Yeah. Like, my non-ec tour that I got to do because I didn't book the Muni was one of the better things that happened to my career. So right? there's, there's two sides of every coin. Absolutely. Um, but I love those stories about those, like random ensembles yeah. of summer stock shows and yeah and just know that those people next to you are, are gonna end up probably being lifelong friends and, and colleagues yeah. and you just never know yeah like where you're gonna where anybody's gonna end up totally. um and if you don't know who Corey cott and ashley park and all of these people are look at those resumes yeah because that's crazy yeah, yeah. And we should get them on yeah. this show too we should yeah. we should um, that's why you also have to be nice to everybody There's yeah so yeah, many definitely. assholes in this business don't be an asshole don't be an asshole. It takes so much more effort to be an asshole. Just be <laughs> kind. Like, I don't right. get it. Right. Yeah. 
I sound like such a cynic on this show, but no, I'm just pointing out some things that I observe. I don't. All. I don't yeah. think you sound like a cynic. I actually really love talking to you because okay, I think that this so is glad. like like a really. I'm, I'm feeling this vibe. Good. Yeah, I think I'm sometimes sometimes the the tendency in our business too is to come on and be like, "It's amazing, we make musicals for a living." But yeah, there are a lot of things that that are a challenge, and mm-hmm. some people aren't helping to make those challenges any easier. And yeah. so, like shedding light on what's yeah. actually happening, I totally. think is valuable for people. Yeah. So, like oh, well, I admire good. that. And I don't know. I just see so much crazy behavior. And now I'm going to get on another tangent, which is social media, <laughs> because I think it's partially ruining the theater. Mm-hmm. I th- see so many people who it's like they're just in it to post on their story, mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah, but. Are you? Do you care about the play you're doing or the thing you're making? Right, right. It's like, it's not about how many followers you have or you know somebody sending you something for free to the theater. It's like, yeah, what it? What is the? Why do you do this? Yeah, and I feel like social media is detracting from from our community as as actors. I agree. And I think that's all I have to say about that. No, no I agree. And I think that, it's also, there's positive things about it too, because look at the, now the scope of we're able to reach so many people and right. show, like, it's really cool that I can show somebody back, like what it's like to be backstage at Phantom yeah, right. or something that I would have killed to see, have that access when I was a kid. Totally. But also, I think we have to be careful because it is a sacred space that we live in and work in. And there's kind of a secret that happens amongst the people that, A, work there and come see it. And so I think it's up to us to keep that secret and come to the theater so that you can experience that. If we just show it online all the time and everywhere, and I understand there's like we have to market and that's yeah. part of marketing and everything. Yeah, and but, access to people who can't afford $200 tickets. All correct. of that is true, but I, I'm totally with you that like, yeah. And Patty Lapone went on a big rant about this in the New York times magazine last week, but it's that about, article was so, what? if you haven't read that article, <laughs> go read that article. Cause she says everything that I believe in. Yeah. 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 I think, I think I like, you off, I'm totally no, not, I'm not a hater on social media. Uh, like g- generally, I totally get where you're coming from and what you're saying. And, and I'll just kind of pivot to like the thing about uh, taking videos in the audience of the show oh and gosh, all of that stuff. Worse. Right. Yeah. And the, and the sharing that's the, I think the thing that, that is really people need to try to understand better is like the secret of the theater is the mystery of what it means for a thousand people to be in a space having a shared experience that is their own. Correct. That is what theater is. Theater isn't high belting. It isn't being hot. It isn't kicking your face or, or, you know, being better or more famous than anyone else. Like the reason that this works and people care about it is because all of these people are in the same place Mm -hmm. learning about what it means to be human, you know? Mm. I 100% agree. Yeah. Which is why... So, like, put your fucking phone down. Yeah. (laughs) And even in rehearsal, and even, you know, backstage, and, like, it drives me up a wall that the crew members are playing video games in the wings. Yeah. And, like, I get it. I get it. You're not there to tell the story, and you can still do your job and play video games. But there's something about, like, leave your phone in the dressing room, it's two and a half hours. Like, come on. And go yeah. tell the story. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that should be true for I mean, the audience, too. I'm guilty sometimes, too. You yeah. know, I'm on my phone. I get it. I'm, I'm like stage, watching football off stage. Yeah, like, yeah. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, we're, we we're, can do better. We can do better. And and I we've now talked to you for, we've, we've taken you away from your life for 45 minutes. <laughs> and, and so we'll let you get back to your life. But I just want to, you said something earlier about being nice to everybody. And I want to read the people, the text that you sent me when I got the job. So John texted me after I got the job to take over as Hans. And you said, Joe, this message is long overdue. I want to say how happy I am that you are taking over the bad boy shoes. You're perfect. And they're lucky to have you in the fam. Look forward to seeing you around John Riddle. And I, that's the kind of guy you are. 
You are a wonderful person. You're a wonderful actor. I've stolen every single joke <laughs> that you make in the show. Absolutely nothing is original. And uh, thank you for talking to us. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And it's go see pleasure. him in Phantom of the Opera six nights a week uh, until... Um, March. Until March. Yeah. Boom. Rock on. Cool. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah. That was so nice, you guys. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.